Well, good morning. It's so good to see you guys. I need to let you know I'll be gone for a few weeks. Um, and that's odd for me because I love preaching in June. Part of that is coming from Texas. I've been through 32 winters here and I spend six months wishing for the other six. And so as long as I can remember, I've always had some big series in June. But there are a couple of uh, anniversaries for me this week. One of them is Tuesday. I'll be at New Spring 32 years with my family. Thank you. Thank you. But the really big one is um, next Sunday, Mary Allison, I'll be married 40 years. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever told this in all the years I've been here, but um, I was invited to be, I was brought on my, at my first church the Saturday before the Saturday Mary Allison and I got married. So bless her heart, all these 40 years, she's been a pastor's wife. And, uh, but we didn't get to take a honeymoon. And so Mary Allison has leveraged that through the years. It has been useful for her, and, uh, but we've, we've just decided um, when we hit 40 years, we were just going to take some time and just, we both work so hard, so we're looking forward to that. So I want to let you know I'll be gone for a couple of weeks, and then next week, I will tell you this, you've got a very special guest speaker, Dr. Charles Lowry will be here. For all of you who have heard Charles, you know, not only is he a longtime pastor, he's also a Christian psychologist. He is hilarious, and you know how his preaching is. He'll, he'll have you rolling in the aisles, and all of a sudden, boom, he'll sort of punch you with this great truth that changes your life. So Charles Lowry will be in the house all services next weekend, and then Father's Day, and then I'll be back after Father's Day. Uh, one of the things I do want to say is I will be speaking one more time before I leave, and that's at First Wednesday. We don't usually say much about First Wednesday here at New Spring. And one of the reasons, to be perfectly honest with you, is we're always kind of nervous about how would we get 7,000 people in here for one service. But I'm going to talk about it because I really believe God has given me a very important word for First Wednesday. Um, <clears throat> let me just ask you a question. And I don't usually ask you to raise your hands because it always makes me annoyed when a preacher will ask people to raise their hands. But this time I'm going to do it. How many of you are concerned for someone that you love and they either don't know how to fix their problem or they're not fixing their problem and you can't fix it. And you love them. I mean, just raise your hand right now. How many of you know somebody, they have a problem, you care about them, they either not fixing it or can't fix it and you can't fix it. Well, that's what intercessory prayer is about. So I'm going to be doing teaching this week. I've been working on this message for six weeks. And I'm going to be doing teaching on intercessory prayer. So we'll have worship. We'll have a time of communion like we always have first Wednesday. And I'll be, I'll be, now I know better than to say this already. I'm, you guys know I'm really quirky. But one thing I've, I've always said about first Wednesday is I don't want it to be taped or filmed. I just want to kind of do a family talk. And so through the years, you know, I'd give a talk on first Wednesday and people call the office on Thursday. Can I get a copy of Mark's talk? I'm sorry. For some quirky reason, Mark won't let us tape it. And then that's what's led to pirated copies of first Wednesday being on the internet. <laughs> um, I don't know. I may break my rule. We may tape this one, but the only way you can know, the only way you can hear the sermon for sure is to be here Wednesday night, and uh, we'll open overflow. We'll do whatever it takes. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, if you love somebody and they're not fixing their problem and you can't fix it, it's really important to know how to talk to God about it because prayer is the most powerful weapon you have. Some of us have marriages that are in stress. Others of us have kids that are not. They're scaring us. And, and prayer is so important. So I'll pre I'm starting to preach that message right now. So uh, better just wait till Wednesday night. That's 6.30 Wednesday night. Um, we're in the last weekend of our series, Free to Be Me. I did a series on this with this title, with this brand 10 years ago. But you know what I've learned in these last 10 years is so great that I felt like I need to come back and revisit it. Because what I've discovered is that most good people I know are, are, are in some kind of bondage. 
They, they feel the ropes, they feel the pressures, they feel the harassment of life. And they would love so much to wake up some morning and just be free to be who they are, free to be me. One of the, really, there are two things that God taught me that led to this series. One is that most people are two steps removed from being free to be who they are. Or I think the majority of people would have to make the statement, I'm not free. I don't feel free. I feel like I'm constrained. I feel like I'm held back. I feel like I'm tamped down. So the first statement would be, I'm not free. But there's a more fundamental statement. And I'm not trying to be existential here, but it's just that statement we would have to make that would say, I'm not me. You know, for many of us, we're like an old tube of toothpaste. We've been squeezed so many times by so many people, our shape is completely gone. I'm not talking about our physical shape. I'm talking about our emotional internal state. And you could hear that today and you say, Mark, that could sound like cycle babble and, and that kind of stuff. But no, it's, it's really not that way at all. Because the truth of the matter is, you don't know who you are until God tells you who you are. Because only when God shows you who you are can you be who you are, and at that moment you can seek freedom. Because see, what happens is we begin to develop what psychologists call the false self. We're trying to be this for this person, this to that person. Our parents want us to be this. Our peers want us to be this. We turn on the television and we watch commercials and they tell us we have to have this product in order to be significant. And then we go into the workforce and the workforce tells us that we have to be this. We're so many things to so many different people that after a while, we don't know who we are anymore. And then when we seek freedom for that false self, we're two steps removed from being free to be me. So I've been passionate throughout this series that we, we would really unpack what it would be to, be, to know that you are the person that God wants you to be. And then beyond that, that you would experience freedom. I don't know if I'm the only one here. Maybe I'm just getting old. But I have some clothes at home that I love to get into when, late in the day. I mean, I just got some jeans that have been with me for a long time. They've been with me so long, they just, they're custom. They weren't custom. They weren't custom made when I bought them, but they are now. <laughs> and then, you know, I've got T-shirts that Mary Alice has been begging me to get rid of for years. But I love it, you know, especially when I have to preach a funeral or something and I've got the suit and the tie and the handkerchief and all that stuff. I love just getting rid of all that stuff and then just getting, you know, put on, pulling on those jeans and my faded T-shirt. I just feel completely comfortable. Let me ask you a question. Is that how you feel in your inner person? Wouldn't you like to feel that? Wouldn't you like to get up and go to work in the morning or go to school or whatever it is that you're doing? Wouldn't you like to get up and emotionally speaking, feel completely comfortable in your own skin? And so, you know what? It's not important for me that I please everybody, that I make everybody happy. The important thing is God has designed me to be this. I'm being that, and I am free to be me. Well, the second thing, and this is what I'm going to talk about today that, that God showed me, and the reason why I wanted to come back and revisit this topic after 10 years. The second thing that God showed me is how counterintuitive we have to be approaching life in a broken world. From the moment that our first parents sinned, our world has been upside down. So consequently, what we tend to do intuitively is the wrong thing. And what we usually re repulse from is often the right thing. Now, most of you, I'm looking over this audience, most of you are way too young to remember a disaster flick called the Poseidon Adventure. What a, what a crazy name to use the word adventure with Poseidon. For all of you who, who may be old enough to remember the movie or the sequel, what happened is a cruise ship flipped upside down and there were a few people left alive. And they had to embrace the reality that up was now down and down was now up. And see, that's the thing. If you want to experience freedom today, you're going to have to embrace the Poseidon effect. Because in our broken upside down world, up is now down and down is now up. And what we're going to talk about for a few moments today is that the, the places where people are looking for freedom 
are the very places that bring about bondage. And the last place that people would look for freedom because they think it means bondage or enslavement is the very place where freedom is found. And when you just hear that today, if you, if you just are willing to buy into that possibility, you will take a deep breath and say, now I know why most people are not free. Because, you know, there was a song, and again, I'm, I'm really showing my age today. Um, there was a song in, in, in the early 80s called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. And the reason why that song resonated, so many artists covered it, is it's just true, isn't it? Because people, most people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Most people are looking for success in all the wrong places. I want to talk to you today about the reality that most people are looking for freedom in all the wrong places. They're, they're pursuing what they think is freedom, but only to discover more ropes and more bondage. Let, let, me, let me tell you, I mean, there are like four areas, and maybe you'll think of others, but these all start with S, so maybe it'll be easy to remember. I think most people are looking for freedom in the areas of sex, substances, self, and stuff. I mean, when I was young, when I was in high school, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it was sex. And that was the idea, or in substances too, where I went to high school. Um, but it was the idea, you know what, if I can have sex with anybody I want to have sex with as many times as I can, with as many people as I can, whoever I want to have sex with, then that's freedom. And if you think about it, our entertainment is, is calculated that way. You know, we see this, this person on the screen and, you know, she's, she's going in and out of multiple relationships with great sex appeal and it's this guy and it's that guy and, and here you are, you go to the movie and you're a mom of three kids and you're changing diapers and living with a guy that just won't get it and you look up on the screen and look at her and say, that's freedom. But it isn't really, is it? Because usually that person on the screen is in the tabloids too for the screwed up life she has. But there is that feeling today, and, and, and there are people that have this. It's like, well, you know, life is all about having as much sex uh, with freedom, free, free sex. But many of us have been down that road, and we know that it leads to bondage, don't we? Because the thing of it is, sex is complex. And then all the emotional complexities come into play, and now we discover if you're into that world, whether it's pornography or you're sleeping around, you discover after a while that you have a whole new set of bondage that you didn't anticipate. Another area where people seek freedom is in substances. I mean, do you ever think about why people abuse alcohol or drugs? I think it's, for the most part, they, they don't feel liberated. They feel constrained. They feel pain. And so consequently, when they get drunk, they feel better temporarily, and there's a little bit of freedom. I just came back from Northeast Ohio where especially meth is pandemic up there, even in rural areas, and, and, and politicians and leaders are pulling their hair out, trying to figure out how they're going to deal with a culture that's just inundated with meth. It's because people are seeking freedom, but they're discovering only bondage. And then there's self. I mean, that's, I think for, for many people, self is just being able to do what I want to do, having people do what I want them to do. That is freedom. If I could do whatever I want to do, that would be freedom for me. The prodigal son is a great example of that. He wanted to get away from his father with cash in his pocket and do what he wanted to do. Where did he wind up? Hogpen. And then if you're a little older, if you're middle-aged, chances are freedom is going to be found in stuff. If I had this car, if I had this house, if I had this vacation home, if I had, if I had this toy, I, I would be free. Do you know America, as I look at America, is somewhere in between the parameters of shopping and garage sale. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like shop, 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 got it, tired of it, don't know what to do with it, can't take care of it, sell it, buy more stuff. 
You know what? There are three bondages with stuff. The first bondage is you don't have what you want. The second bondage is you don't have everything you want. The third bondage is you have to take care of what you do have. And some of you have a ton of stuff right now, and you thought it would make you happy, and yet taking care of it is driving you crazy. I mean, I've always said I'd rather have access to a boat than own a boat. And some of you have the stuff, and it's driving you crazy to take care of it. So as people begin to seek freedom in, in, in sex, substance, self, and stuff, what they discover is bondage. I, could, I mean, I'm one of the biggest Tiger Woods fans you've ever seen, you've ever seen in your life. I loved watching Tiger play golf. But watching the mugshot this week just broke my heart. And, and that's bondage. Now, on the other hand, I could talk to you today about following God. I could talk to you today about like committing your life to being in God's will and obeying God. And for many of you today, that would sound like bondage. And it would be like, you know, I mean, I don't think Christians can get to do anything. And that sounds like a life of bondage to me. Well, I want to talk to you today about seeking freedom and truly following Jesus. But before I do, I want to give you a couple of verses from the book of Romans that underscore what I've been trying to teach you already. In Romans 6, verse 16, the Bible says, Are you not conscious? And that means... Life doesn't work the way we think it works. Are you not conscious that you are the servants of him or whatever to whom you give yourselves to do his or its desire? So in other words, if you decide to live your life serving sex as much as you can get, you're going to become the servant of that. I mean, if you live your life seeking out substances, you're going to become the servant. At some point, substances are going to handcuff you and you'll become enslaved. If you live your life trying to please yourself, then you will become the slave of your own selfish desires. If you live your life seeking stuff, you will become, as we just talked about, the slave of stuff. Now, I love how the message puts this because it really speaks into our series with, with, with great clarity. The Bible says you know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourself to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. Now, I want to go back to something I said a few moments ago, because there are a lot of people that when you think about following God, or when you talk about following God, there are a lot of people that would say, I don't want to do that because I, think, I don't think it would be fun to be a Christian. Christians can't blank. Christians can't get drunk. Christians can't sleep around. Um, Christians can't tell lies. I don't know if I want to be a Christian because Christians can't do blank. Well, first of all, that's not factually true. If 6,000 years of recorded history teaches us anything, it teaches us that Christians can do just about anything. I mean, Noah got drunk. David slept with his next-door neighbor. Moses got angry and blew up his chance to go into the promised land. Jacob had a problem with lying. So first of all, let's just be factual and say that Christians can do just about anything. For the next few moments, I want to share with you something that doesn't get taught in church very often, but I think it's really important that we spend this time together as we close out this series. You and I need to understand there's a difference between being saved and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. Salvation is free. I think one of the mistakes that we made back in the 20th century is we presented salvation as a decision. 
And that was something that was often repeated in churches like where I grew up. Salvation is a decision. Let me tell you, salvation is the acceptance of an invitation. Being a disciple is a decision. See, here's the thing. Jesus said about salvation, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. About discipleship, he said, any person who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is a difference between just being saved and being a true follower of Jesus Christ. And the reason why many people here today who would call themselves Christians and may probably very well be Christian, but you feel in bondage is because you have accepted God's free gift of salvation, but you've never made the decision to be a true follower of Jesus Christ because, to be quite honest with you, that looks like bondage to you. But let us talk for a few moments about the fact that salvation is a free gift. Because it is. Uh, one of the experiences I've had through the years many times, and it's very gracious when this happens and kind, I'll be at a restaurant with Mary Alice and we'll order our dinner and we'll be sitting there talking and then toward the end of dinner we're waiting for the server to bring our check and the server will come by and say, I just want to let you know there was someone here and they said you've made a real difference in their life and they, they paid your check. Now it's an interesting feeling because I feel like in one sense that I'm indebted to pay for what I ate, what I ordered and ate, but on the other hand, it's already been paid. So you know, I look at Mary Ellen, and it's like, well, we're free to go. Now, the other day, and this has happened sometimes, but it's never happened so close I've had a chance to observe it. We were on the other end of that. We went out to eat, and there was a sweet elderly couple. I think they must have been celebrating a special day because they were really dressed up. Now, they were dressed up in clothes that might have been in style a little while back, but you could tell <laughs> they were really dressed up for this event. The lady had a flower on, and they were really, really, truly elderly. And, and the, the gentleman was, was just barely able to walk. And I watched them when I came in and noticed them because they were sitting right next to us. But I'm oblivious. Thank God Mary Alice sees stuff I don't see. And Mary Alice had noticed something. It was at the end of this couple's meal, and the woman had presented a credit card, and it got turned down. And then she presented another credit card, and it got turned down. I'm guessing they probably didn't go out very often. Probably the cards had become deactivated. And she tried a third card, and it got turned down. And so Mary Alice whispered to me and said, told me what was going on. She said, Let, let's, let's just take care of this for them. She called the server over and gave our card to the server. And it was fun to watch because two of the servers went over to the table, and they said, because you know, this poor lady and this man were so worried, they didn't know how they are going to get out of the restaurant. And we saw the service come over and say, somebody's taking care of your check. And we watched the sweet couple as they lovingly got up, held on to each other, and kind of toddled out of the restaurant. Do you understand that that is what salvation is? See, here's the problem. A lot of people want to pay for forgiveness and everlasting life. So you get out your wallet. And you say, well, now, God, I've got a card here. Um, this, this is my, my baptism card. And I've been baptized, and so I'm, I'm going to pay for this with my baptism card. And God said, I'm sorry, that card's not activated. Because, see, you haven't been saved yet. And said, so, you know, your parents meant well and you meant well, but your baptism, it, it's not activated yet. There's some wealth there, but you, you have, it's not activated. Your card's not activated. Say, well, God, all right, um, I'm a member of New Spring Church. I got my New Spring Church card. 
Hey, I, I'm sure I'm okay. I, I'm down there at that New Spring Church, and I listen to Mark preach, and I worship, and I volunteer, and I serve. But, and, and, and so I'm going to pay for my heaven with this New Spring Church card. And God is saying, well, now there's a lot of money on that card, a lot of blessings on that card, but it's not activated yet because, see, you can't be a member of a church till you're a member of God's family. Oh. Well, I got my... Um, I got, I got my good works card. I, I, God, I'm a good person. I, I don't think I should go to hell. I, I'm a good person. And God's like, I'm telling you, there ain't nothing on that card. <laughs> you plunk that thing down again, and you'll be in jail. <laughs> because there's none righteous, no, not one. Well, God, I was saving this for the last. But here's the thing, God, I'm part of a religion. I grew up Baptist, and my parents had me in church, and I went to vacation Bible school, and, and I learned about the Bible, and I grew up Baptist, or I grew up Catholic, or I grew up Pentecostal. So, God, you know, here's the thing. I got my religion card, and God's saying, you know, those things are counterfeit. They've been floating around for years. They're not real cards. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? You try to pay God for heaven. And you, you know, hey, don't worry about what's in your wallet. There ain't nothing in your wallet that'll get you into heaven. I mean, the only thing that happens that can be good is we're sitting there at the table thinking, what am I going to do? I ordered it and I ate it and I can't get out of here. But the server, the word of God comes along and says, there was a man on a cross 2,000 years ago and he paid your check. And you are free to go. But what are you going to do with that freedom? See, here's what I'm going to preach. And this doesn't happen a lot in churches these days. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to just take Jesus' free gift and go out and live for yourself, you can do that. You'll screw up your life. You'll live in, you'll live in confusion for the rest of your life because there will be cognitive dissonance between who God says you are and who you, who you really are. But you can go to heaven. You can get hell insurance. You won't be happy. And a lot of the stuff that you're pursuing that's going to go away down here in this life, you won't have great stuff in the life to come that God wants to give you true riches. But if you want to, you can accept God's free gift. I mean, look at, look at what the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says. It says, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. This is what is wrong in American Christianity today. We have a lot of people who've accepted the invitation of Jesus to be forgiven. They have prayed and asked for forgiveness. When the server came by and said, your bill has been paid, we bought into that. <laughs> and we said, yes, <coughs> I take Jesus. But then we walk out with that freedom and we live for ourselves. There are two questions before you today. The first question is, have you accepted Jesus' invitation? If you're trying one of those other cards, I encourage you to just put your wallet away and accept the free gift of salvation. But for all of you who have, I want to ask you the question, if you have accepted Jesus, are you going to live out your destiny as a daughter of God or a son of God? Are you going to live out your destiny even though, you know, here's the thing, forgive me for breaking a sentence, 
If you've accepted salvation, you're free to go. But if you live for yourself or sex or substance or stuff, you'll go out and put your God-bought wrist into the handcuffs of this world. Let me give you a story from the Bible, and we'll be finished here. Well, we have another service after this, but (laughs) you'll be finished here. (laughs) Back in the Bible days, in the book of Deuteronomy, isn't that a weird name? I was a kid growing up in Sunday school. They talk, teacher would say, we're in Deuteronomy. I'd start laughing. You know, Deuteronomy, it just sounds funny. Is that spelled D-O-O-T-E-R? Now, actually, you have to understand Deuteronomy is a cool book and one of my favorite books of the Bible. And, and I, I hope you learn to love Deuteronomy because I think it's a great book for New Spring. I'll tell you why. The, uh, the word Deuteronomy comes from the Greek, two words, deuteros, which means second, and nomos, which is the Greek word for law. So it's second giving of the law. And so the reason why Deuteronomy is such a great book is that when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, it should have taken 11 days, but it took 40 years. And the reason why it did is there's this older generation that choked at a moment of destiny, and God said, I'm going to kill all this generation off, let you die for 40 years in the wilderness. I'm going to find a young generation who gets it, and I'm going to take them into the promised land. Now, the reason for me why Leviticus and Numbers can be dark books is Moses is talking to that old generation that's dying off. Deuteronomy is the elderly Moses talking to the young people who get it. So that has nothing to do with the sermon today, just interesting when you get to the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) Now I'm in the 15th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, and God's just sort of laying down tracks for how they're going to live their lives. You have to understand that back in Bible days, there were no social services as we know today. There were no bankruptcy laws. And people could get up against it just like they get up against it today. So in, the Deuteron- in Deuteronomy in the 15th chapter, the Bible begins to talk about somebody who gets himself or herself in trouble financially and can't, make, can't, make, can't pay their bills. You know what happens. I mean, it happened then probably like it happened today. I mean, here's a guy that got up against it, and he sold his ski dude, and he sold his golf clubs. And then he wound up selling his car, and then he, sold, you know, he had a house, got an estate sale, and then he winds up selling his house. Well, when he gets there at that point, he didn't have any place to sleep that night. He has no food to eat. What would you do in Bible times if you sold everything to try to make things work and nothing was working? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're told what happened in the Hebrew world in that situation. This this guy who was in so much trouble, he would go knock on the door of a wealthy landowner. And he would say this to the landowner, listen, I'm destitute. I don't have anything. I just want to know, would you like buy some of my life? And we read about this in the 15th verse. It says, if a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant... And serves you for six years. In the seventh year, you must set that servant free. But I, I left out part of what the Bible says in that chapter because not only was the landowner to set that servant free in the seventh year, he was to set that servant up. That was an interesting law. Because during those seven years, this guy had a place to sleep. He had, a, he had food to eat. He, had, he would actually begin to accumulate some stuff. But at the end of that seventh year, and I sort of see this, here's this guy that like got up against it and he, he couldn't make his payments and he wound up working for this guy for seven years. And I'm sure that a wealthy landowner like this, they had accountants as well as you know, workers in their, in, their, in their farm and ranch. So here's the accountant. He comes up to this guy and says, hey, listen, um, uh, you know, we've been checking this thing out and I need to let you know that tomorrow's your last day here. And you, you don't have to work here anymore. Tomorrow you're free to go. And on top of that, you know, I've been over here with the financial team. We've been picking out some stock. We've been picking some, some animals for you. We've got some males and females. To, and we've got you a little, you know, got, a, got some land over here where you, if you want to build a home. And, 
and start a business or whatever. We've got y'all. So tomorrow's your last day, and, and, and you can leave. And we're, not only are you going to be set free, you're going to be set up, and you can make a new start. Now, it's the first word of verse 16 that sort of freaks me out because that is the word but. I mean, if I'm, that, if I'm that servant and I realize, you know what, my life was so screwed up seven years ago and now I'm back on my feet and not only that, I own some land now and I've got some stock and I can start all over again. I'm not thinking but anything. I'm thinking school's out for summer. Just want to see who was here in the 80s. <laughs> But, look at this. Suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and he loves your family and he has done well with you. In that case, now for all of you, I don't, we probably don't have any kids in here today, but any kids that are like telling your parents, I want to get my ear pierced, here's your verse. You can say, Mark said I could do it. In that case, take an awl and push it through the earlobe into the door. And after that, he will be your servant for life. The same for your female servants. Now, it's really challenging for us in the 21st century to like get back in time and see what's happening here. But there's enough that's very beautiful to me. Here is a guy who's free to go. He has no, he has no more indebtedness. He has been told everything has been paid off. And beyond that, we're setting you up. you got bank account. You got livestock, you got land, you're on your own feet. And this guy's like, you know what? I don't want to go. There are three reasons. I want you to hear them. The first one is he said, I love my master. I love my boss. And the second one is, I love his family. But it's that third one that I hope you lock into. He said, I have done well being here. You know what he's saying? The last time I was making my own calls, I wound up in bankruptcy. The last, one I was, last time I was doing what I wanted to do, I wound up a slave. So I, I don't want to go. I want to stay. Because I love my master. And his family has become my family. And it's good for me. I have done well. I have prospered being here. Well, guys, this is interesting for me because... As I shared with you a little while ago, I'm in my 32nd year here at this church. And I get this. I mean, I, I could say to you today, I, I want to stay. I want to stay with God. I want to stay following God. I want to stay with God making the calls. I, I want to stay with him directing me and me following his guidelines. Because first of all, I love my master. And beyond that, I love his family. I love you guys. You know, here's the thing. If you're here at New Spring long enough, it won't be long before you'll meet people and love people that are closer to you than even your own blood relatives. In 32 years here, that's true for me. I, even if I got mad at God, I think I'm going to stay here because I love his family. And I can tell you, I'm not rich. I need next week's paycheck. But it has been good for me to follow God. I'm married to the greatest woman in the world. I have three precious sons. I have three awesome daughters-in-law who are doing such a great job raising my grandkids. I have five grandkids. I get to be with the greatest people in the world. You know, I, I, I'm never any of the successes I dreamed of when I was a kid because I never saw myself doing this. But I can say it has been good for me to be with God. 
Now, if you saw one of these people who had made this call walking through town, and you saw that pierced ear, and I imagine that that good master would have put some serious jewelry in that pierced ear. If you see one of these people walking down the street, you would know three things about them. The first thing that you would know is this person has an awesome master. Because for her to want to stay when she could go and set up her own world and set up her own business, for her to want to stay, she must have one awesome boss. He must have one awesome boss. If you saw somebody with that pierced ear and that earring, you would say, I don't, I don't know her boss, but that boss, she must be awesome. Do you know why so few people want the American Christian's God? Because we live for the world. We live for ourselves. People don't see God in us. And, and they, I mean, sometimes they do, but I mean, here's the thing. I mean, when people look at you, they should, they should want to say, I, I, I don't know her God, but her God must be awesome because she is so fully determined not only to accept the fact that the check has been paid, she is determined to stay with God because she loves him and she loves his family and life has been good for her. She must have an awesome God. Is that what people say when they look at your life? Or do they say, I don't understand. I think they belong to that New Spring Church down there. And I don't really ever like see any evidence of anything. The second thing you would know about that person, by the way, I'm going to need three extra minutes. Can I have them this morning? The second thing I would know about that person, this is a serious person. You know, there, here's the thing. This is one of the things that really troubles me about our culture and especially American Christianity. We have a lot of dabblers. Uh, sort of like, yeah, go to church, like one hour, that's sort of my God time, and then after that, I'm dabblers. People that when it comes to like really getting in the scriptures and reading God's word, they sort of dabble. When it comes to like praying, they sort of dabble. When it comes to like sharing their faith with others, they're a little dabbler. I mean, one of the problems that I have with America today is there's just so much silliness. I read what people write on social media, what they believe, how they come up with their beliefs, what they think. And it's just like Americans have become like bobblehead dolls, like thunk them on the head, and they just like go along with it. Silly. Hey, here's the thing. If I meet a servant like this who is saying, I want God first in my life, I want to please God, I know this. She's a serious person. She's not a dabbler. Every once in a while I'll be driving home. <clears throat> I get on Kellogg. I live in Andover, and so I'm on Kellogg, headed, headed back to the house, and I'll get behind this you know, old pickup truck. And I'll get close enough to the guy to see a particular haircut. And then when I look at the bumper, it'll say USMC or Semperfy. Man, I'll know I'm behind a United States Marine. You know, those guys never get over that. Those gals never get over being a Marine. You notice that? They can be out of the Corps for 30 years, still have that look. I know I'm behind a serious person. I mean, a Navy SEAL, I know I'm behind a serious, I'm watching a serious gal. I, somebody is a Green Beret, I, I know I'm with a serious person, not a dabbler. People have been so gracious to me through the years. My favorite compliment that anyone's ever given me, I had lunch with a rabbi one day, many, many years ago, Orthodox rabbi. And he had had lunch prepared 
for both of us in the synagogue. And for three hours, we sat over chicken, chicken lunch, and shared our lives with each other. Man, it was exciting to hear from him. He was a United States Marine, and then he fought in the Six-Day War. By the way, do you know it's the Jubilee year for the six? I, this is, I didn't mean to preach this. You know it's Jubilee for Israel getting Jerusalem back? 2,500 years they didn't have it. They had it back. This is Jubilee. I don't know what that means, but I'm interested in it. Oh, anyway, I was, I was talking to this rabbi. <laughs> and it just mesmerized me as he told, him, told me his story and I told him my story. But anyway, the time came and I had to leave. And I walked out and he walked to the glass wall of the synagogue. And an employee of the synagogue later told me what he said. As I drove away, he said, I've met a lot of people who have talked about Jesus. That man knows him. That's my favorite compliment. You know why? Because a very serious man looked at me and said, he's a serious guy. If, if you're... If, if, if your life is all wrapped up in celebrity crud... And what's hot, what's hip, and what's out there, and what, I mean, let me tell you something. You can be saved, and you can go to heaven, but you can't be a serious person. See, when I, when I see that ear, I'm like, well, that person's got a great boss. And secondly, I, I know that's a serious person. The third thing, I guess, is just a nuance to that. The third thing I would know is it won't do any good to mess with that person. You know, Paul, in his ministry later on, would quote from this text, because everywhere Paul went to minister this message of grace, there was always somebody who said, no, 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 no. You have to present your various cards to God. And like, they would just get in Paul's hair and try to screw up everything he was doing for God. And finally, Paul said this. Look at this. He said, finally, let, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That mark is a reference to this Deuteronomy text. Paul is saying, don't mess with me. My decision's been made. You know, if I saw that servant walking down the street, I would know this. I know this is a serious person. I won't do any good to mess with her. I won't do any good to try to intimidate her, buy her, scare her, divert her. She's a serious person, and she's made her decision. Listen, when you, when you have the marks of Christ in your life, you have made a call. You have made a decision. My prayer for you today, and I love you with all my heart. I have the greatest job in the world pastoring the greatest people in the world. I truly want you to go to heaven I want you to know Jesus Christ. I want you to walk away from that table knowing that your bill has been paid. But when you walk away with that freedom, my prayer for you is that you will truly experience freedom by then showing up before Jesus Christ and the word of God and saying, I am a daughter of God. I am a son of God. I'm not going to bounce along the bottom dabbling with life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a person that reads the Bible to find out what God has to say to me today. I want to be a person who prays and has a constant relationship with God. I want to be a person who follows God sexually. I want to follow God in areas of money. I don't want to be a dabbler. I don't want to bounce along the bottom and live my life in cognitive dissonance. I'm not just someone who's accepted God's invitation. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Because if you are, you will be able to wake up in the morning and say, I am free to be me. God bless you. Thank you very much.